All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, the college football podcast, normally coming to you on Sunday, special edition. Did not think we'd be here today. Did not think this would be happening at the end of this season. Alabama head football coach Nick Saban is retiring. Chris Lowe first with the report. I was actually on air on SiriusXM's SEC channel doing SEC today with Aaron Murray. Murray saw the tweet. He talks about it on the show. I said, I got to call Chris right now. Call Chris Lowe. I had to confirm it actually live while doing the radio show. And he's like, why would I put that out? Of course it's real. Um, I said, I don't know if you got hacked, if this is the wrong account I'm looking at. I just, I, I did not believe it. And I do a, a daily radio show, WJOX in Birmingham, Alabama. We have had meetings about this day a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. We, we, this is something that we have planned for and talked about for a long time because we knew how monumental it would be. And it is a monumental day in college football. Um, the greatest to ever do it, in my opinion, shutting it down. And and I don't think just the greatest college football coach, I think Nick Saban's name will be mentioned when you're talking about just the greatest coaches in sports ever. Bear Bryant, Pete Carroll, John Wooden, uh, Pat Summit, Gino Ariema, Coach K, Vince Lombardi, Phil Jackson. He's going to be he Belichick. He, he's in that group. I mean, he's in that, that classification of coaches. And – He's changed so much of college football. You go back to his early time at Alabama, how he handled things when he first got there and what he did with gray shirting, what he did with the hurry up, no huddle offense, RPOs, you know, attacking those in the media and the press, trying to get more rules and guidelines around that, changing his offense, changing his personnel and philosophy defensively because he knew he had to keep up with college offenses and where they were going. It's just unbelievable. Some of the, I mean, what do you want to throw out? The, the fact that he won seven titles, um, the fact that Auburn's had five head coaches since he's been at Alabama, Tennessee's had six, LSU's had three, it was seven and six in year one, lost to Louisiana Monroe, and then he won 10 or more for 16 straight seasons. It's ungodly to think about. Um, there's only been five of his 17 years that he's been the head coach at Alabama that he entered the postseason without a chance to win a national championship. Think about how stupid that is. Four Heisman trophies. Alabama didn't have a Heisman trophy winner before Nick Saban arrived. 297 wins, 10 SEC championships. It's unbelievable what he's done. Um, since 2009, he's got the most draft picks, 123. LSU's next closest with 105. Since 2009, the most first-round picks with 44. He's had a first-round pick 15 straight years, by the way. Uh, Ohio State is next with 26. Oh, it's unbelievable, the things. Um, how did we get here? He said on McAfee's show the other day, I'm getting old. That's why people say these things about me. I'm getting up there in age. It, and it's real. Um, I sat down with Nick Saban multiple times this season. We had a couple of their games. Um, he allowed me to come to practice in the preseason, spend some time with him there, talk to him after practice a couple of times. I told you guys the joke on the show about him calling me a double agent. I always give him a hard time that he never watches the O-line. He gives me a hard time that I don't go watch the secondary. They have the noise playing on Thursdays. So I say, listen, I can't hear whether you're coaching them or not anyway. And he's like, well, we turn that noise up so loud when you're here because we know your double agent ass will go across the state and give away our secrets. It's like, and, and we saw how he was with the media and press conferences. If he was you know, a, a little more fun, a little more animated, smiling a little bit more, a little more joyful. I think a big reason for all of that was the fulfillment that this season brought him. I think going into this year, two new coordinators, a new quarterback, a quarterback that had turnover issues, a lot of people counting them out. People saw what LSU had. Georgia being, you know, I think 
the almost unanimous pick to win the SEC in the preseason. And a lot of people counted them out. And what they had to do early on, Middle Tennessee is getting to the quarterback. They're giving them problems. Uh, South Florida gave them a ton of problems. Quarterback doesn't play. Got to get him in line. Got to figure out your personality on offense, your identity on offense. It took them a long time to do that. It changed throughout the course of the season. Reinvented certain parts of their defense. Had to have different guys help in different ways across the course of the year. Not as dominant up front in the middle of that defensive line. And had some transfer that had to help out at different points in time. All of those things came together across the course of the year. And I think that brings some fulfillment to him. Keep in mind, he, he's, he is a teacher first, an instructor first. He's a coach. And I think he had to do a little more of that this year than he's had to do the last few years. A lot of that because you had a Bryce Young, you had a Will Anderson, you a little more hands-off approach when you have guys like that. But he had to dive in this year, and I think he and his ha- his staff had to dive in. Therefore, it gave him a little extra fulfillment. I think we'll look back at, at a lot of things as to how we got here. But I'll say this. During the season, I never thought this was it. I never thought this was going to be it. Um, I thought he still had plenty on his fastball, and he could get it by guys if he needed to. Uh, the players still reacted to him, still made an impact on those players. And I did not think this was going to be it. You have your quarterback coming back. Your inside linebacker's coming back. It's a talented roster. And I actually think top to bottom in college football next year, we will enter the season with fewer rosters that are on par ahead or close to what Alabama was going into this year. This year we had A&M, LSU, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Florida State, Clemson. There are a lot of rosters that were knocking on that door of where Alabama was. And I think next year, a lot of those schools take a little bit of a step back. And I don't think Alabama takes a massive step back. So all of that being said, it felt like it'd be a great year to come back, 12-team playoff. And Coach Saban can come back. And I'm not going to say have an easier chance to win a title, better chance to get in. But then you still got to go win more games to win a national championship. So I didn't think this would be it. Um, I'm thankful for the time that I got to spend with him. Um, just talking football with him is always impressive. Um, watching him give us demonstrations on how he coaches DBs. I'll never forget that. Never forget our conversations after practice. I talked to him for about 20 minutes after the SEC championship game on the field. The TV folks were trying to pull him away, and he and I were just talking football. And I'm not going to share that conversation, but it's one of the more memorable conversations that I've ever had in my life, uh, both professionally and personally, um, because of some things that were shared there. So he – He's been great to me. He's been great to our TV crew. He's been great to us on radio in Birmingham, and I'm appreciative of that. And it's just a it's a it's a monumental day for the sport, the sport that we love so much. And I do believe, with all my heart, that where this sport is going had a pretty heavy hand in this. I think he loves college football. I think he loves the players. I think he loves coaching it. I think he loves the games. But where a lot of this is headed and already is. Um, I think it frustrates the hell out of him. And that frustration can wear on you. I mean, it can wear you down. He's admitted that he's a little more tired than he has been. And I think that plays a part in it. Uh, The portal, you know, guys being able to leave and not tell you they're leaving, not having that personal relationship with some players, having to have veterans come in that you need to rely on, that you haven't been able to groom your way. I think all those things just take a little bit out of you. I think we'll look at some other things like this. The trip to Italy with Miss Terry last summer. Maybe there's a part of him that came away from that saying, man, I've been missing out on this for a long time. You know, like that's that was pretty cool. 
Um, I don't know. Kids, grandkids, car dealerships. Maybe he wants to, you know, go ride in his Ferrari a little more often. Um, I will say this though, I don't know what's next for Coach Saban, but he's gonna have to have something to fill that void because he's too organized, he's too structured, the process is too important for him to just go out there and, you know, freelance every day for the rest of his life. He can't do that. But it's it's a it's a wild day for college football because this is gonna have a lot of ripple effects. Um, who's the next head coach going to be? What staff members do they keep? What other staff members do they get? Um, it's not great timing to go get a coach right now. Um, Chargers, Titans, Falcons, Commanders, Panthers, Raiders, all open. Does that impact it? A lot of these guys are trying to make that jump to the NFL. I don't know if it necessarily means that Alabama's competing with any of those jobs, but we're hearing rumors about Kirby to the Falcons. Like, I don't believe that, but people are throwing it out there. So, and the money's better and the workload, I mean, how many times can you go get 20, 30% better pay and cut your workload in half? That's what college coaches are doing when they're going to the NFL right now. Um, So I just, I think that there's a lot of things that we're going to look at that may have played a part in this, but it's about exactly the way I thought he would go out. He doesn't want a victory lap. He doesn't need a parade. And I think he also doesn't want people trying to talk him out of it. Because he loves it so much, he probably understands that he could easily be coerced to stay and do it a little bit longer. But nobody's more self-aware than Nick Saban. Why? Because nobody self-scouts the way that Nick Saban does. He's the one that brought the self-scouting to the forefront in college football, in my opinion. So by doing that, you know he's going to be aware of himself and what he's doing and what he needs to do and what he has to do and just where he is. So it, it definitely changes the landscape of college football. Now, Alabama is a big brand. And Alabama, whoever gets that job, will immediately elevate their name. I don't care how big that name is. It will elevate it as soon as they take that job. Will it be the same as Nick Saban and Alabama together? No, because Coach Saban used Alabama to elevate his profile. Not that he needed it, but it did. And his profile became as close to being as big as that brand as you know maybe any head coach since Bear Bryant with any other school. And that's just what it was. We put those two together. You can go dominate the way that he did in a lot of different ways. Um, but I, I will say this about Coach Saban and what he did during his time at Alabama. And I'll, I mean, I can listen. We got accolades for days that we can just read off here. I mean, it's it's silly some of the things that he's accomplished and and just kind of where he is compared to everybody else. Uh, two hundred one wins at Alabama, second most at one school in the SEC history. Um, 11 SEC championships, a MAC championship, nine wins versus AP number one teams. I think the next closest is four. 104 wins against AP ranked teams all time. That's 18 more than any other coach. 109 weeks ranked number one in the AP poll while he was at Alabama. That is more than any other program all time. Just his time at Alabama, he had more weeks at number one than any other program has in the history of their program. 16 straight 10 win seasons. We said that. 19 bowl wins, third all time. 49 first round selections. It's the most all time. He made the college football playoff eight out of 10 years. Uh, 292 wins, six all time. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But I'll leave you with this. And this is going to be important for the next coach at Alabama as well. The most impressive thing that Nick Saban did during his time at Alabama is how he stiff-armed and kept the door shut 
and pushed some of the power brokers away to not be overly influential in the day-to-day workings of that football complex. And because of how the hire had to happen, Nick Saban was able to do that. So the athletic director at the time, Mal Moore, flies to Miami to get him, and he tells the pilot, if I don't come back with Nick Saban, leave, because I'm not going to have a job. So he convinces Nick Saban to get on that plane and go to Tuscaloosa, and they hire him as their head football coach. Well, Nick Saban had leverage at that point in time to say, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to do it my way. And I'm not saying that he went in there like Stone Cold Steve Austin, double burden, everybody, you know, kicking door down. But he essentially said, hey, man, like if I do this, I'm going to I need to do it my way. You people need to leave me alone. And it forced a lot of the boosters and the money people and the power brokers to stay at an arm's length away from the program and him and not have that extra influence. That, after all that other stuff I read, that is the most, that is the most impressive thing to me that Nick Saban ever did. Because you think about where the meddling was with Alabama. And listen, I played at Auburn. I saw it firsthand. I witnessed a coaching fire when I was in school. We've heard about Texas and some of the things that go on behind the scenes. Other places that have boosters that meddle and get involved and want control and want to want their say and this, that, whatever. He was able to manage that and keep that from becoming a problem. And it had been a problem for a long time. That's the most impressive thing he did. Can the next head coach come in and do that? I don't know. Because I do know, because I've been told by a lot of people that there are a lot of folks that are going to want to get their hands back in on that program. And have more access and have more say and have more influence and be part of the decision making. So it'll be a tough job for Greg Byrne from that standpoint. Where it will not be a tough job for Greg Byrne is that there will be interest from almost everyone in this job. This is one of the most desirable jobs in college football. And 98% of college football coaches and the majority of NFL coaches are going to want to take a look at this job. And I'll say this, they're even want to throw their name in the hat because if you get mentioned as a possible candidate for this job, your profile is raised. So all the agents are going to be throwing all their guys in for this deal for a lot of reasons. Who's next for this job? Dan Lanning, easy choice, $20 million buyout. I understand people think that all these athletic directors are Scrooge McDuck and they're swimming in these giant vaults of $1,000 bills. It's not that. It's a lot of money. And with where NIL is and other things that are happening, collegiate athletics right now, I think it's a real roadblock. Also think Phil Knight, if we're if if getting Dan Lanning to be the Alabama head coach is us crossing the goal line and it's fourth and one from the one fourth and goal from the one, like Phil Knight is Patrick Willis. Like he ain't letting anybody in there. And he can go write the checks and he can throw his clout in in the middle of that deal. And if he wants to keep Dan Landing, he will. Um, also think that a similar deal with Sark. Texas can throw all the money at him. Sark's got a good thing going. I don't know why he would want to leave Texas with what he's done. He just got out of the playoff. They've been recruiting like madmen. He's going to have a good team coming back next year. So who else is there? I think you can remove Dabo. I think you can remove Lane. One of the interesting aspects of this hire, in my opinion, is going to be how far down the rung of experience with college coaches can Greg Byrne get to even present to the people he needs to present to in order to make this higher? So by saying that, 
your your Chris Kleimans, um, your coaches like that, your Lance Leipolds, could can they even be real candidates for this job? My heart tells me no. My brain tells me yes, they should be, but I doubt they will be because I know the all-encompassing aspect of what this job is. And big program experience is probably critical for this. I live right in the epicenter of the media attention that this job gets. I have a pretty good idea what it's all about. I played against the school. I grew up in Birmingham. I do a morning radio show in Birmingham every day. I've had Alabama games for the SEC network. I I know what it is. And it's a lot. And it's demanding. So the understanding of that, I think, is going to be considered highly valuable. But there are a couple of names like Dabo that I think you can probably scratch off. I just don't think I don't see that going down the road. I don't think Lane is there going down the road is a real possibility. Um, Dan Lanning, very possible. Kalen DeBoer, maybe. Um, but there will be a couple of names that are not on the list of next head football coaches at Alabama odds by the Vegas odds makers that are being discussed and talked to. Uh, there are going to be other coaches who throw their own names in very quietly, but don't want everybody else to know that they're showing interest in that job. So Greg Burns got his work cut out for him. And I've sat in Greg Burns' office and talked to him before, and he's told me I've got a list in the top drawer of my desk for every sport of four or five names that when the time comes, I will attack and go after. So he has a couple that he knows he wants to talk to and a couple that he knows will be good. But this is a monumental day in college football. I still can't believe we're here. I don't think that I will believe this is real until I see the next head coach run on that field against Western Kentucky and Bryant Denny Stadium. Guy's already got a statue. I don't know what else you do for him. Uh, if you ever wanted to rename the stadium or the field, he's going to get the field easy. Um, but I think you, I think you reconsider the stadium. And he's meant a lot to college football. He's changed college football in a lot of ways. It's not a sad day. It's just a weird day because, I mean, first off, he's alive. He's okay. Uh, second off, you know, I don't think he would want any of this, you know, feeling bad about it or sad about it, anything like that. But this is one of the most proud programs in the sport that we love. And now they're going to have to go a different direction. And the chances are it's not going to be anywhere close to what it's been for the last 15 years. It just isn't because it's been that freaking good. And he's been that dominant. So we got more about this to discuss. There's plenty more to talk about. I had to at least come on and address it. Um, I do think he's the greatest college football coach that ever lived. I do think that he has completely changed the sport in multiple ways. I hope he stays involved in it. I think he will. I think he has to. When, when college football has meant that much to you and you've put that much into it, and it's given that much back to you, I don't think you can walk away from it. I don't think you can turn your back on it. And I think deep down, Nick Saban loves it too much to walk away from it. I don't think that'll happen. But, and we're already seeing the effect. Ryan Williams, five-star receiver, has already said that he's decommitted from Alabama. So does that mean Greg Byrne needs to step on the gas and do this fast? I talked to McElroy earlier, and he's like, you got to get it right. You can lose an entire signing class. You got to get it right. And I agree with that. You don't fast forward this for two or three recruits. It's not going to happen. And the portal will open back up for Alabama for 30 days, I believe. So that can also change things on that roster. 
But there are a lot of guys on that roster that went to play for Nick Saban. There are a lot of guys that went to play for Alabama. And they understand that a large portion of what it is is going to stay no matter what. You know, the next coach has got to be smart enough to know that, like, you know, their nutritionist, Amy, like, she needs to stay. Jeff Allen's got to stay. He's a head trainer. Like, there's Josh Max in the SID. He's got to stay. Like, you can't go in there and start pushing those kind of people that have meant so much of that program out. Like, that's – there's going to be somebody got to draw some lines in there. Um, you know, it's like somebody asked me when Hugh Freeze took over at Auburn. I was like, well, Dana Marquez, Kirk Sampson, Dr. Goodlett. Like, they can't go. They have to stay. Like they have kept that program together for so long, you can't get rid of them. And there's a couple of those people in Alabama, like I just mentioned. So I think the strength staff does a great job, Coach Blue and those guys. I don't think you need to get rid of them. So that that becomes interesting because Coach Saban has gotten some of the best of the best in-house. Do you leave them and allow them to go somewhere else? Do you try to bring someone in who you know is going to keep them? I, it's it's a lot, man. It really is. It's going to be interesting to follow. We'll have a regular episode Sunday, and we'll update this. We're also going to have Will Rogers, former Mississippi State quarterback on Sunday, going to join the show. You're going to love that interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in. I can't believe it. I don't know if you can. We'll update you on it as much as possible here in a few days. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.